us loving together, church. We acknowledge you, Jesus. Hallelujah. What a mighty God. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. If you can't open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Thank you, Jesus. 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. Those of you that are standing, thank you so much for doing that. It's not required, but I guess I'm standing, so you guys get to stand with me, I guess. Paul is writing here to the Corinthian church. He says, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. They were telling Paul, you, you write pretty harsh, Paul, but when you come, you're not very impressive. You don't look very good. You're not a very good speaker. You're kind of disfigured, and uh, you're not like Apollo, so you're, you're a little different in person. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with, with that confidence Wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I want to tell somebody today. I want to tell myself. I want to tell the devil. That I've got weapons and they're mighty. I've got some weapons and they're mighty. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for this people that have come today. Let me do the best that I can just to honor you and present your word in its beauty and majesty that we could be transformed into that same image and we'll give you praise and honor. If there's any affliction among us, let it be healed through your word. If there's any oppression, among us, let it be released by the power of Jesus' name, and we'll give you praise. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here, and then tell them I've got weapons and they're mighty. Thank you, Nada. In this chapter that we have read, Paul is defending his apostleship against the critics that were many. People were saying, well, this Paul is not a very imposing-looking man. In fact, his speech is not very powerful. He writes scathing letters, but he's not really much in person and in his presence. They began to question his apostleship and his calling. His letters were weighty and strong, but his presence was weak. His voice was contemptible and not so good. And Paul seemed to play upon this in his letter back to them. But Paul is writing to them in defense of his apostleship, telling them that, listen, 
I may write a strong letter and I may be weak in person, but that doesn't matter because the weapons that I'm fighting with, what really is behind my apostleship is not anything carnal. It's not anything I can boast on if, I, if he worked out at the gym five times a week and pumped iron and could bench press 400 and came in there like a televangelist with a real short t-shirt tight so people can see their bulging arms while he's holding a microphone. You guys know what I'm talking about. You see him parading around. That will do nothing to deliver anybody. Paul is saying it doesn't matter what I look like in person. It doesn't matter if I'm loud when I talk. It matters because what's backing me are weapons and they're mighty. They're not carnal. They're not eloquence. I can't just learn to speak good enough to transform people's lives. But if the power of God is there, that's all that counts. So Paul is saying, listen, my conduct and my power is not of human motivation, but it comes from the power of God. Another translation says it like this. Paul says, it's true that I'm ordinary. I'm a weak human being. But I don't use human plans and methods to win my battles. I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the evil strongholds of the devil. These weapons can break down every proud argument against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding Him. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's desire is obedience to Christ. I will use these weapons against every rebel who remains after I have first used them on you, yourselves, and you surrender to Christ. Paul was saying, I come to you, not in my own ability, but in the power of God. And he was telling them, we are in a battle. The Bible declares that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. And we need to be aware of the warfare. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're in a battle. The thing that I'm looking for, I can't find, but praise God. Thank you. Paul is writing to Timothy in another portion of Scripture. He said, this charge I commit unto thee, son, Timothy, that thou by them mightest war a good Warfare. Paul was saying, Timothy, listen, you are in a battle. You are a young pastor. But listen, Timothy, even though the battle is going to be tough, I'm going to tell you you've got to wage a good warfare. And you're not going to do it because you're young. It's not going to work because you're strong. Let no man despise thy youth. It doesn't matter how old you are. What matters is that you're plugged into the power and the presence of God. But you're in a battle, Timothy. Paul writes on another occasion to Timothy and tells him to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. If we are engaged in God's army, and we are, if He has equipped us and called us into battle on His behalf, don't you think He's going to back us up with some kind of weaponry? Do you think He's going to send us out into the battle by ourselves? Do you think He's going to tell us to face the strongholds of the enemy in our own power, in our own strength? No. In fact, we couldn't stand, could we? We would be defeated so quickly. Some of you have known in your own personal battles every once in a while how the devil can topple you so easily, it seems, in the flesh and maybe the world, but God's power allows you to get back up. Grab your sword again and say, hey, I'm in the battle still. My captain's called me still. 
Paul knew about this battle. In fact, at the end of his life, some of his last words were summed up like this. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. His last words were alluding to the battle that he had fought in the course he had run, the faith he had kept. Paul in Ephesians 6, 11 through 12 tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood or we don't wrestle against human things. We're not in an MMA fight. This ain't Mayweather against Conor McGregor. This isn't the fight of the century. This is not a battle against flesh and blood. If it was, we'd get knocked out. I would. Brother McHenry wouldn't. I've seen you do a karate kick completely sideways. He's too old now, he says. But let me tell you something. It's a good thing this battle is not against flesh and blood because we'd be knocked out. But this battle is against demonic forces and influence. And in this, even though we are not strong enough, God is strong enough in us. Thank you so much to help us to win the battle. We don't have to be a... You know, I've, how many have ever had to lay hands on somebody demon-possessed? It's not a fun thing. It's a little bit... It can be a little frightening, but here's the thing that I've learned. I'm a lot more afraid of that dude than I am of the devil. <laughs> because they start freaking out. They can punch. They can claw. They can put you in a chokehold. I'm not afraid of the devil as much as I am a human. I can't come against a human in my own strength, but I can come against the demonic forces by the power of Jesus' name and let him do all the fighting for me. And I think sometimes when we get into spiritual warfare in our lives, we think we can fight it in our own power. We think we can figure it out, but the fact is we don't have the weaponry in ourselves to do what needs to be done in the Spirit. But God has given us weapons. Somebody say, I've got weapons, and they're mighty. And we're going to get to a few of those in just a moment. So Paul is saying, put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand. I remember reading not too long ago, Senator Rand Paul was out there mowing his grass. And all of a sudden, a sneak attack by a neighbor. His neighbor just comes out of nowhere and breaks his ribs, puts him in the hospital. I guess it wasn't because he's a conservative Republican. I don't think it had anything to do with politics. Supposedly, it was a dispute about who was keeping their lawn better and leaves blowing on somebody else's lawn and all this other stuff. And so out of the blue, this guy comes and attacks him and tackles him when he's mowing the grass, not even paying attention. But here's the thing. I would hate for that to happen to me. And as bad as that would be, we are not in a battle against our neighbor. We're not in a battle against things that maybe can sneak up on us like that. We are in a battle against demonic forces and influence. And if we don't understand that, it's not something we can see. It's not something we can just put a fence around our house so it doesn't happen again so our neighbor can't just come and tackle us and take us down. But the devil has other ways of taking us down and afflicting us. And so we've got to be aware that our battle is not against our neighbors. It's not against humans. It's against demonic supernatural forces. The Greek term for war that Paul uses is stratos, and it means to lead an army. Paul states that though he does not fight according to the flesh, he does fight, and he admits that he leads, as it were, an army to war. 
He is telling the Corinthian church that I am leading you to war because God has given us weapons and it's not human weapons. It's not anything we can bring in ourselves. It's not our eloquence. It's not our power. It's not our wealth. It's not our influence. But Paul said, I fight a war that's not of flesh and blood. And we must put on the whole armor of God. The truth is, Paul was saying in the J.B. Phillips translation, Although, of course, I lead a human normal life, the battle I am fighting is on the spiritual level. Peter echoes this in 1 Peter 5.8. He says, Be sober-minded and watchful because your adversary... How many know we have an adversary? He's not just any adversary, but he names him as the devil. Your adversary, the devil goeth about seeking like a roaring lion whom he may devour. So we are in a battle. But then God tells Paul to tell us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. I was praying about a month and a half ago, and God pulled me into a season of prayer. I'm telling you, I was home and he just began to deal with me and I began to start praying I went upstairs and as I was praying on different things God just began to almost like pull these prayers out of me and I arrived on that statement and I began to tell myself I've got weapons and they're mighty and I'm sitting there on my beat up faux leather couch upstairs and I'm saying I've got weapons and they're mighty and I've probably said that 50 times and God just began to pour it out of me. I've got weapons, and they're mighty. I'm not prone to this circumstance. I am not subject completely to this circumstance. I've got some weapons through God, and they're mighty, and they can pull down strongholds. And the prayer was probably going to be better than the sermon. That's okay. Because let me tell you something. If you can believe that, that you've got weapons, and they're mighty, they can do so many things. Read recently, Trump is wanting to do a big military parade. He must have got the idea from France or something else, some other country, maybe China, North Korea. But he wants to put on an American military parade to show the strength of our military to the United States and the world. But wouldn't it be interesting if all they had was wooden weapons and wooden tanks? Because a parade proves nothing. And I'm not for it or against it. If he wants to put on a parade, that's fine. But a parade of your military force proves nothing. The question is, when it's time to engage in battle, are you ready to fight? We can have great music. We can have great church. We can have great singing. We can have the greatest parade every time we come in here on Sunday. But the fact is, if we leave out of here and we're not engaged in warfare and we're not ready to fight, we're going to be like a wooden soldier just knocked down. We can brag about how good we looked in our uniform, how many people came out to watch us, all the things that went by, it looked good, great cinematography. But when we get out there, we have an adversary and we've got to get ready to fight. We've got to have some mighty weapons at our disposal. And so we are not defenseless. We have weapons to fight with. They are not antiquated military weapons like some have been rolled out in different countries that are 50 years old. 
We have got the most current weapons to fight with, but they're as old as time itself. And they're not physical, but they're spiritual. They're not carnal, but they're mighty. They're not humanity-based, but they're powerful through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And so Paul talks about, Finally, my brethren, be strong, not in yourself, but in the Lord. Not in your power, but in the power of His might. His might, not our strength. You see, our enemy tonight, this afternoon, this morning, I guess now, I'm all confused, is not ordinary. Human weapons will never win the victory, but we need some mighty weapons. James said in 4.7, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. What will he do? He'll flee. Submit to God. That means saying, God, I'm going to lay down my weapons. I don't have the armaments. I don't have the intellect. I'm not a, I can't heal myself. I can't fix the things that are going wrong in my life. I don't have the strength. But God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to resist the devil. And all the demonic things that are coming against us will flee. Not human weapons, but God's weapons. I'm going to list a few of these. The first weapon that we have to fight with is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. It was said of Goliath's sword, there, <laughs> there was no sword like it. And I suppose if David had gone to Goliath with a sword of Saul, he would have realized truly there was no sword like Goliath. But David didn't go to Goliath with a sword. He went another way. But according to the Word of God, there is no sword like the Word of God. It's even greater than Goliath's sword. You wonder how black and white pages, some hard cover, some soft cover, how you can mark something up. Jensen asked me the other day, Dad, why, do you write, why are you writing in your Bible? Well, I was reading, I was marking it all up. I said, because I don't want to forget certain things. I want to go back and let remind me of what's in his word because it's great. And so I began to tell him, I've got a weapon, Jensen, and it's mighty. Ephesians 6 says one of our weapons is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Think about that. The sword of the Spirit. If you have and you don't have the word, or if you have the word but you don't have the Spirit, you're not going to be able to win in the warfare that we're engaged in. We've got to have the sword of the Spirit. Imagine going to a war without a weapon. Imagine going to battle without having something strapped to your side, without having something that can fight for you. And so when you get in this book, and I've been reading through uh, some of the life of Joseph recently and Job, and I'm telling you, it's so amazing when you look at what God did in their lives and you know if God's fighting for you, you can make it through anything, folks. If you see what God did through Joseph, 13 years of basically walking through hell, walking through a circumstance he didn't know where it was going to lead him, not knowing if his daddy was dead, not knowing where he was going to be, if he was going to stay in the pit, the prison, Potiphar's house, but God began to elevate him. Job, all of that's in God's word. And too often we don't use the weapon of God's word to say if he could do it for them, he can do it for us. The writer of Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, 
It's quick and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. In Jeremiah 23, 29, the Lord says, Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? The devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Three times Jesus quotes from one Old Testament book and says, It is written, it is written, it is written. Even Jesus didn't try to stand on, Hey man, I'm Jesus. You better get back. Because Jesus wasn't waging warfare in his flesh because that was the man being tempted. And so the man Christ Jesus said, I don't have any weapon but the word of God. And it's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth. There is no other way for the Christian to fight apart from God's word. As my dad tells me often when we talk, he said, there's a lot in that book, son. There's a lot in that book. We'll start talking about it. Sometimes we argue about certain textual implications, and uh, we'll always come back around. There's a lot in that book. Open it up every day and read, because if, you, if you're not staying in here, you're like a soldier without a sword. The second thing that we need to look at as a weapon is the Holy Spirit. Zechariah said, It's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And I think as Pentecostals, we ought to know this. We ought to be aware of what the Spirit can do in our lives, that we do not stand in our power. In fact, when we go to pray, sometimes we don't even know what to pray, but guess what? Guess what happens? Guess who begins to bear our infirmities? Guess who begins to pray through us? Guess who begins to discern the will of God for us when we don't know what to pray and what to do? The Spirit prays through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Paul said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. I'm not saying I speak in tongues more than you all. I don't know. I'm sure there's at least five or six here that probably speak in tongues more than me. But when you pray, and you're praying in the Spirit, God is interceding and fighting on your behalf. He is strengthening you. Paul said this, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God? We often think about that as maybe don't sin. We've got the spirits you know, coming in us. We're His temple. We've got to be clean. And that's true. But look at it another way. The Spirit of God is living in you. You've got a weapon. You've got a powerful weapon against the enemy. And in fact, in Acts 2, what does Luke depict the Holy Spirit as? As a what? A mighty rushing, and a fire, but a mighty rushing wind. And it filled all the house. And then tongues of fire. Wind as we in North Dallas know, is very powerful. We get tornadoes. We have winds that shear the shingles off of the roofs, and people like Brother Green can get jobs out of that. We know the power of the wind. And the Holy Spirit is like a mighty rushing wind, like a fire. It's powerful. It's able to do things and knock buildings down and knock strongholds down and do what we can't do in ourselves. It's mighty that's the Holy Spirit. The third thing is prayer. Mark eleven twenty four. Jesus said, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and guess what? 
it will be yours. I'm not saying pray for a Cadillac and it'll be yours, but if we pray according to the will of God, and God wants us to be mighty, God wants us to succeed, God wants us to stand in this evil day. He doesn't want us to get knocked down by the adversary. And so prayer is powerful. Samson was the strongest man in the Bible. He was able to carry city gates. He was able to catch foxes. He was able to destroy armies all by himself. But guess what? His greatest exploit came because of one prayer that he prayed. He said, Oh God, avenge me of mine enemies. One prayer was the strength that Samson stood in in the last days of his life and his greatest victory came through a prayer. The next thing we have that's powerful, and these are not in order of importance because this could have easily been number one, but the power of the name of Jesus. I mean, folks, when you're in a dilemma, sometimes just say in Jesus. I don't have the capability to say a long, mighty prayer, but sometimes all I can say is Jesus. David said to Goliath who had the sword that was like no other he said Goliath you may come against me with a sword and with with a spear and a shield but guess what I'm going to come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts whom you have defied I don't have anything else to stand on but I've got a name that's above every name I've got the name of the Lord of hosts to fight the battle for me like that song says there is a name I love to hear I love to sing its worth. It sounds like music to my ears. The sweetest name on earth. When we begin to sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that's above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Peter preached it like this, Neither is there salvation in any other name. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He is Jehovah Jireh, the provider. He is Jehovah Shalom, our peace. He is Jehovah Rafika, our healer. He is Jehovah Tiskanu, our righteousness. He is Jehovah Rohi, our shepherd. And Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Where is he? He's at the mention of his name. When we speak his name, he's there. The wise man said, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. The lame man was sitting at the gate, beautiful, in Acts 3. Peter and John came by. He wanted money, but guess what Peter said? He said, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall cast out devils. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Another weapon that we have is worship. We can think of Paul and Silas. They were trapped in a prison cell. They were in stocks and bonds behind iron bars. But at midnight, they began to sing praises unto God. And guess what? 
Suddenly the prison bars were open because there was a shaking because they knew, I can't get out of here in my own power. I can't accost the Philippian jailer, tackle him, take his keys, and get out of here, but I can praise God. And God showed up and loosed them from their chains. I was reading in Exodus 17, Moses and the children of Israel, led by Joshua at that time into battle, they were fighting Amalek. And Moses said, listen, I'm going to go up to the top. I'm going to take Aaron and her with me. You fight in the valley. And we find that as Moses' hands stayed up with his staff in his hand, that the battle was won. But as soon as his arms began to come down, Amalek began to gain the victory. And so Aaron and her put some rocks next to him, propped his arms up, kept his hands and they routed the Amalekites because it wasn't really what went down in the valley on the battlefield that made the difference but what was going on on the mountaintop. It doesn't matter the warfare you're engaged with down here on the human level but if you can praise God there is victory assured in your life. It's not what you're facing here that you can identify as unmanageable, as unwinnable. The things that we know can defeat us in our own power. There are many things, folks. There are many things on the battlefield of life that I can look at and say, I am powerless against. I don't have the answers for this. But the conflict was not being won by what went on in the valley, but by what went on on the mountaintop. That's when we worship. The conflict is won in our praise. I was watching one of the Carruthers, Mark and Lori Carruthers. How many have ever heard of them, Carruthers and Company? And Mark Carruthers was explaining the origin of his song, which is sometimes misunderstood. It's called Praise Him for the Victory. I think we sang it maybe last Sunday. Praise Him for the Victory. And he said a lot of people get it confused of what this song means. Mark said, I didn't write it to say praise him because of the victory after he's already given you the victory, but praise him for the victory. When you're going through a battle, praise him for the victory. Because if you praise God, he's going to show up and he's going to fight the battle for you and he's going to win the victory. So you don't start praising him after the victory has been won, but praise him for the victory. Praise Him if you want the victory. Go ahead and do it now while the battle is raging in your life. There are such things as self-driving cars. It's kind of cool. I like things to be doing things for me that I don't have to do. Some of you have that Roomba vacuum sweeper. Anybody here have the Roomba that just kind of it goes around your living room and sweeps it? We don't have it yet. I got two little Roombas growing up. They're going to start vacuuming soon. I don't need to spend my money on that. I logged into my Fidelity account the other day. I was trying to teach my son a little bit about how money works for you. And it was on, I think, the day the Dow went up 500-some points after it had crashed like 1,000 the day before. So I said, Jensen, this is in green. That's what this earned today while Daddy was sleeping. Your money, if you save, earns money for you, and then it earns more money, and then it grows, and then someday... Uh, we'll be able to hopefully have a dollar or two when we retire. I was trying to show him and teach him just a little bit, you know, as a kid, to try to get him thinking about saving and things can work for you. 
even that you don't have passive income and things of that nature. And I was thinking about this. We have weapons, some that I've just mentioned, that just work for us while we're sleeping. The power of the name of Jesus, the word that we read before we go to bed or get up in the morning, it's just fighting for us all day, 24 hours a day. It's working for us. It's passive weaponry that once we engage, once we invest in, it just begins to work for us. As the musicians come, the last thing is the blood of Jesus. You talk about something powerful that works. Revelation 12:11 says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of Jesus, I believe, is the most powerful weapon that we have because through the blood of Jesus, he destroyed every power of the satanic host. Paul says it like this, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but to those of us which are saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul said it another way, Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, a public display, triumphing over them openly. Just like in a military parade in the olden days, when Rome would win a victory, they would build a big arch, and the conquering king would walk through that arch with his enemies in tow, with his captives in tow. And Paul said the blood of Jesus is just like that. It was through the blood that every enemy was defeated and captivity was led captive by the blood of Jesus. And so for us today, the blood is divine protection over ourselves, over our families, our finances, our life. And so we're in a battle, but we've got weapons today and they're mighty. And as we stand together, they guarantee us victory. We've gotten into some battles as Americans that we were not guaranteed the victory. We weren't guaranteed victory in World War II. We had to go take it. Thank God that He gave it to us. But if we have the right weapons, and we do, we are guaranteed victory. Because Paul said these weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. The word for pulling down means the entire clearance of an obstacle. Not partially cleared, not partially demolished, not partially removed, but the weapons that I talk about today, the blood, the name, the word, the spirit, worship, all of these things will knock down every obstacle that comes against us. And so if you use God's weapons today, you will win. Paul said we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's not carnal. We can't fight it. We have problems today, but we have weapons. So I just want to encourage somebody. I know we all are going through things. There's probably not one person here that doesn't have a stressor in life, that doesn't have something you're afraid of, something that you're troubled about, something that you need God to fix or to help you with. 
And I hope today that you are reminded again of the power that we have through the blood, through the name, through the word, through our worship, all the things that we mentioned today. And so I know that if you go out from today, from this place, into your Monday and into your Tuesday and into your Wednesday and the rest of the week, you are going to go with a sword strapped to your side. The word of God, everything that we've talked about today, you have at your disposal. Why don't we lift our hands and love the Lord together as we sing and worship in closing. Thank you, Jesus.